Hello everyone, welcome to Is It Legal? I am your host, Dave Plow. This week, I'm speaking with Cynthia Baker. Cynthia is the founding director of the Program on Law and State Government at our sponsor, the IU Robert H. McKinney School of Law. Let's go ahead and kick things off by finding out why she thought the program was necessary. Uh, the dean at the time, Norm Lefstein, was really interested in creating a program for all of the students here at McKinney to avail themselves of externship and other legal opportunities within our state government, which is about 10 minutes walk from our law school. And so as the director, my first goal was just to um, understand the opportunities within the ex executive and legislative branches of our state government and uh, get to know the lawyers in those positions and introduce our students to those lawyers for the purpose of gaining academic credit as a part of their law school curriculum. So the you started basically just almost as for networking purposes for the students? No, for um, academic opportunities. So they would, they would, uh, uh, enroll in a course that I taught and continue to teach today, although it's evolved over the years, um, called the Law and State Government. And and in combination with that course, also participate in an externship where they're working with a lawyer um, outside of the walls of the law school to learn about um, public lawyering within Indiana state government, Indiana law, et cetera. Okay, so what brought about its creation? Why, what made you go, this is a good idea? Well, uh, Norm Lefstein thought it was a good idea. Well, just because Norm brought <laughs> Dean, it in. Yeah. Dean Norm Lefstein thought it was a good idea. I, uh, at the time, was a, a lawyer in the Department of Environmental Management, and as section chief, I worked with about nine other lawyers, and uh, a lot of them were new to the legal profession, and I would spend a considerable amount of time in my role as section chief explaining um, state government as a whole, what the statutory obligations of our particular agency were, using the Administrative Orders and Procedures Act to affect change within the agency or enforce state law. And so I saw again and again the need for these new lawyers to understand that, and um, I think that need still exists today. So did Norm hunt you down or did you hunt him down? Interesting question. Um, I had a friend who was an uh, adjunct professor here at the law school who had told me that the dean was thinking about this idea. And I said to her and then later to the dean, that is a great idea, I said. And as soon as you um, hire the person to do this, please give me a call because at the time I was uh, a lawyer within state government and I said I could, you know, help that person meet other lawyers and um, I could really be of help. And then a couple of days later, the dean called me again over to his office and we continued the conversation. It became clear to me that perhaps I was the person that might be <laughs> this in this position as the director of the program on law and state government. In fact, that's funny because I was thinking... I remember being in my office wondering, should it be called the pro the program on law and state government or the program for law and state government? And deciding even to that level of detail what this was and what it was going to be and what it could be. Okay, what was the transition like between the Department of Environmental Management and then coming here as a professor? Another really good question. I think that one of the primary roles of a lawyer is to be a teacher, whether you're explaining the law to your client or explaining your argument to a judge or to a jury. 
the essence of a good advocate, I think, is to educate and teach. So while I changed um, offices and institutions, I think my style of lawyering and my style of teaching here at the law school aren't dissimilar. Um, I'd say, this, and students have asked me this before, what do I miss? I guess I miss the... Um, the thrill of, of winning in a court and getting that decision that you that you prevailed on behalf of your client. And um, in uh, the law school and academic setting, that particular feeling is f a little further removed. Right. You're not getting quite the competitiveness. Right, correct. You no. know, I want all of my students to really understand this material and be able to help it, but it's not very often I get a decision, you know, handed down that helps, that helps. Right. So you've presented <laughs> So you've presented in front of a court before, like that was part of your job? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's that like? Tell me a little bit about that. I want to hear. Well, um, with the Department of Environmental Management at the time, um, all of the court work was through administrative agencies. Um, I did occasionally appear in a court of general jurisdiction under certain circumstances. And um, the procedure was, if there was a legal issue, I would, of course, meet with my client and learn as much as I could about what they knew. I was in the um, what was then called the Office of Solid and Hazardous Waste Management. So it was a lot of federal regulation, um, Resource Conservation Recovery Act, and uh, Superfund. So I would talk to, sometimes to a lot of geologists and scientists in a language that was pretty um, unfamiliar to me. And then, you know, prepare, prepare based on the legal issue, the best case that we could based on the evidence we had, and go to the administrative hearing with that evidence and um, present it to the present it to the judge. You mentioned that you were dealing with a language that you're not you weren't really familiar with. As a teacher, do you do the same thing, kind of preparing for your class, look over cases that you're not familiar with, or bring material that you're not familiar with to impart upon your students? Well, at this point, um, I've been at this a number of years now, so I would say I am very familiar with the material that I bring to my students, but I follow the advice of our Dean Emeritus, Susie Mead. She always uh, encouraged me and other faculty to every semester incorporate something new into your syllabus, something new into the course, which uh, necessitates uh, removing a little something also. And so every semester, even if I've taught the course uh, many, many years in a row, we always introduce some new topic, current event or legal issue that's um, a part of our profession. When we return, we'll talk more about Cynthia and her duties as a member of the law school faculty. But first, our sponsors at IU McKinney School of Law are proud to recognize the graduates of the class of 2015 who donated over 20,000 hours of pro bono service to the community while in school. More information is available on their website at mckinneylaw.iu.edu. Getting back to Cynthia, I was curious to know how long she had been a member of the McKinney faculty. I've been at the law school now 18 years. What has kept you here that long? That's, that's a long, like 18 years. That's a decent stretch. It's the uh, longest 
time I've ever uh, spent at any any place of employ. I really enjoy my work. And while I've continued to work for IU Law School, the nature of my work has changed significantly. Uh, I began as a decanal appointment as the director of the program in law and state government. And after a few years, um, was appointed as a candidate for our clinical faculty. And so went through that process as being a part of the academic faculty instead of a professional appointment. And that was an interesting role. And now as a, a long-term contract clinical professor, my role continues to change as the program in law and state government evolves, as the landscape of legal education evolves, and as my role as now maybe an elder on our faculty uh, in terms of leadership and responsibilities. What kind of responsibilities do you have as a member of the faculty here? Well, currently, I'm the co-chair of the ABA Reaccreditation Committee, and um, every law school in the United States to be accredited by the ABA must go through a reaccreditation process every seven years. So it's interesting, um, during my time at the law school, I was a part of this uh, as a professional um, decanal appointment. I was a part of this as a non-long-term uh, contract clinical professor, and now I'm a, uh, my third go-around is as the co-chair of the reaccreditation committee. So that is currently my primary leadership role and part of is a part of faculty governance. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm the uh, faculty advisor for the Dean's Tutorial Society, which is a unique student organization that's sole purpose is to provide academic support for the first-year law students at our school, and that has been a wonderful experience um, over the years, meeting really um, the best and the brightest students who, again, along with me, have at the heart of what they do this mission uh, to teach and educate and help um, our shared profession be better at what we do. Okay. Uh, going back to your program on the law program on law and state government. I don't know why I can't say that all is one thing. Um, how you mentioned that, you know, everything's changed moving forward. How has that changed? The program on law and state government, well, since its inception in 1997, uh, the scope of externship opportunities available to our students have has expanded um, due to really two things. I think number one, just longevity and two, um, students' uh, interest over the years has opened my eyes to opportunities, which are now uh, part of the regular circulation of opportunities available to the students. So, for example, maybe four years ago, a student came to me and she said, I'm really interested in working for the Board of Animal Health within state government. And I had not heard of the Board of Animal Health within state government, but um, she, the student came from a rural agricultural background and was very familiar with the law and was able to go, after I introduced myself to the lawyer at the placement, was able to go to their offices, which are located at the Indiana State Fairgrounds, and do some really interesting work with regard to federal legislation that was coming down regarding um, milk pasteurization of all things, and um, was really really able to round out her legal interest in education through this externship and with the guidance and mentoring of a experienced lawyer. What other types of externships do you guys have in there? Well, um, they there are over 50 and they include uh, lawyers who work for entities such as the state police, uh, the general assembly, both houses, both um, 
political parties. The Office of the Attorney General is obviously one of the state's largest uh, public law firms. The Department of Homeland Security, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, the Department of Child Services, um, to the Office of the Governor. So there's a wide scope. There's all kinds of stuff. Did you, how did you develop these relationships? Did you go out and introduce yourselves like you did with the uh, animal health one? Or did you just, the student says they're interested in something, you call them up and you make that connection. How's that work out on your end? Um, all of the above. All of the uh, above. Initially, you know, I, I reached out to the, the lawyers I knew in state government and then, um, and then, of course, also responded to particular student interests. Um, one uh, step in the evolution of the program in law and state government was after the first uh, couple of years, a number of years, uh, the not only the executive administration of our state government changed, but the political party in charge. And so when Governor Daniels was elected, I thought to myself, well, this will be a, an interesting step because my entire network of lawyers pretty much melted away uh, on election eve, and I had about 25 students in the queue for classes in January. And so on probably midnight, the night of the election, I wrote an email to uh, Governor-elect Daniels' chief of staff and introduced myself. He was a lawyer and told him about the program on law and state government and really introduced this idea to him. And through um, his care and the Daniels administration, they were just really terrific in uh, sending um, lawyers my way and helping to make those connections. So it was really terrific. It's good to hear that there's a little bit, you know, you can just be like, hey, everybody just left. Hi, here I am. Um, Introduce me to people. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting in that regard. And also, at, when I came over to the law school, I think a lot of the lawyers in state government, you know, to the extent they knew me at all, I was just a relatively new lawyer. I had just finished my judicial clerkship and, uh, you know, had gone to the law school. Um, I guess it was maybe 10 years or so later when the new administration came in. Cynthia Baker in the program in law and state government was kind of the established entity. And these lawyers that had not been in the executive government, you know, through the Republican Party, were now in leadership positions. And they, the the roles had changed a little bit. So that was interesting. That's pretty neat. A little yin and yang to it. Uh-huh. So you guys have some fellowships too. What's fellowship? What do they do? How many do you have? Uh, great questions. Uh, so to the extent the externship is a tr sort of a part of the traditional law school curriculum and that students do that for academic credit, in contrast, the fellowship is an extracurricular academic activity. So the students chosen for the fellowship um, are not getting academic credit for their work, but it is certainly an academic activity. Our dean of students would want me to call it a co-curricular activity. Excuse me, I'll correct, I'll correct myself there. The fellowship exists, uh, started again right with the program on law and state government and was based on an idea I got from Albany Law School, also located in the capital of its state, New York. And um, the concept is that uh, 
there will be, because of the nature of our school and the interests of our law students, some interest in an opportunity that would allow students more than just an academic semester to look at a topic and to explore it in a scholarly fashion. And in the academic world, that's kind of where the student's role ends with that final paper or final exam. And I was interested in exploring how we could not stop there in our law school community and have the students then bring their scholarship and what they learned from others to our law school community. So I certainly can't speak for all fellowships um, at this school, but the program in law and state government fellowships um, marries those two concepts. And so it's for a calendar year rather than an academic school year. The students apply through a competitive application process and interview with me in November. And I uh, choose them based on their references and proposals toward the end of the year. Then in January, I start working with two, the two fellows. There are two for every uh, calendar year we've offered this. And based on their proposals, they brainstorm and think of a topic that they want to explore and then share with our community in that calendar year. So for example, last year, the students uh, chose the topic of state government response to sex trafficking of children. This year, the students who are involved uh, are, have chosen the topic of the school to prison pipeline or what is known as the school to prison pipeline and looking at the confluence of our system of education with our juvenile justice system and how um, the law and state government policies influence um, a, a tradition of having uh, that unfortunately be a pipeline to prison instead of a pipeline to success. What do you think the, what are the most interesting topics to you right now that you're looking at and presenting to your students? I think the, some of the most interesting topics are. They're all interesting. Of course, they're all interesting. Are um, the topic of local autonomy and home rule in our um, interesting and various state constitutions and democracies, how those issues are working themselves out through um, tax law and economic development policies and just the dynamics of democracy between metropolitan areas and rural areas. I think we saw that most recently with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act here in Indiana, where there was some real tension and working out of really different policies uh, depending on where people lived and where people worked. So I think that is an ongoing and very interesting issue. I think um, other interesting issues, fortunately not here in our state right now, but across the country are municipal bankruptcies. Uh, and as state governments respond to changes in federal law and what their citizens expect, how um, cities across the United States deal with bankruptcy in a new way and how they uh, work, work their way out of it. Another interesting topic is the, the new and evolving dynamics between 
uh, institutions of higher education in their host communities. And uh, last year, I had the privilege of co-editing a book through the uh, American Bar Association on the topic of town and gown and legal strategies between institutions of higher education and their host communities. And for those same reasons, although less exacerbated, when municipalities and areas are really under financial stress, I think it's putting some very interesting pressures on both institutions of higher education and their host communities of what they want to do with the idea of higher education. And we see it work itself out through budget processes and economic development efforts and so forth um, as to how adult education and uh, policy work together to form the next democracies and the next generations of democracy. So I think that's a really interesting area also. I live in one of those cities that is downtrodden and has a university. That's pretty interesting stuff. And there's so much synergy that could happen in lots of uh, places. And it's a matter of, again, education and communication and building that synergy and interest enough to have, for example, Anderson be the place where companies want to go and be the place where those graduate students can stay instead of having to leave and be a part of the brain drain. Moving forward, where would you like to see your program go? Well, I'm very proud of the program on law and state government, and I think um, where it's going really is a function of the students who've graduated from the law school who've experienced this program. And it, it used to be an anomaly when I would maybe even just talk to a lawyer in state government and that they had already, that they knew about the program on law and state government or they had known somebody who had been through the program on law and state government. Now it's more often than not that the lawyer I reach out to is a former law student of mine or a fellow or certainly a graduate of our school who knows about the program on law and state government. And so I think expectations are high and getting higher for, um, who those supervising lawyers are and how they work with our students. And I think it's a really exciting um, network of knowledge and uh, leadership that will ho hopefully help our state. That is it for Cynthia Baker. My thanks to her for stopping in and having this conversation with me. Our sponsor, the IU Robert H. McKinney School of Law, encourages prospective JD students who are minorities or from low-income or educationally disadvantaged backgrounds to find out more about the Indiana Conference for Legal Education Opportunity, or iCLEO, which sponsors a summer institute and an annual stipend to attend an Indiana law school. More information on their website at mckinneylaw.iu.edu. Listeners, thank you for your continued support. And as always, I will catch you next week on Is It Legal? Is It Legal?